Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. George Fraser is my guest today in this series, and he's, he's waiting his whistle because he's going to be sharing some important stuff with her. George is the founder of FraserNet, which is over 40, year, uh, over 40 years old, is it, George? Well, uh, no, 30 years as a formal business, 10 years before that. So, yeah, you're pretty right. I am pretty right. Um, occasionally, occasionally, I'm right. George and I met a number of years ago, and this interview is is after we've known each other six, seven years and had some very meaningful conversations. And I want to tell you, George, I've seen you present. I get your emails. Um, people talk about you everywhere I go, and everybody raves about George Fraser and and the impact that you have on people's lives. And rather than me trying to explain everything about you, um, I know that you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. So give us a little history of George, your, your history and lineage, and then what's behind this, this thing we call FraserNet, which has such impact on the world. And I'm, George, I'm honored to have you on this series. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I, I continually thank Bernie Dorman for making sure that we collided because it, it feels like we collided because we are of like mind and much of our thinking is synergistic. And so it's an honor to be with you. You, you are a person that uh, is the epitome of the purpose of life. And I mean that from the heart, not saying it because you're sitting in front of me. Uh, you are about loving, giving, serving, and adding the highest value every minute of every day. And uh, that's the kind of person I want in, in, in my life. So thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for those kind words. So, so give us a little history of George and then some history behind why you're doing what, the kind of work you're doing now. Yeah, uh, George Fraser grew up in very humble beginnings. Uh, my father who was from Guyana came to this country in the early 1900s from, from Guyana, married a beautiful, fair-skinned African-American woman from Lumpkin, Georgia, Ida Mae Baldwin, and they had 11 children, eight boys and three girls. Uh, and when dad came to this country in the early 1900s as an African-American, he could not get a good education, get a good job, so he was relegated to driving a New York City cab for 40 years of his life. And um, when I turned three years old, my mother became mentally ill, was institutionalized for the balance of her life. Mm. Dad couldn't take care of 11 children, so I was orphaned. We were all orphaned. Wow. I was three. I stayed in an orphanage from three to five, and then no one would take 11 children. We were broken up into threes and put into foster care. And I spent the balance of my young life growing up on the mean streets of Brooklyn, New York, bedside to be uh, specific. Uh, or, um, uh, as a foster kid uh, growing up in toxic uh, foster care and aged out of foster care at 18. Um, I did not, I was not doing very well in school. And um, uh, my guidance counselor, Mr. Dietz, suggested that I drop out. I didn't listen to him. Um, I was in a vocational program. Uh, I ended up with a diploma in woodworking. 
because no one thought I was college material. And, you know, I graduated. My floors on the midnight shift at LaGuardia Airport paid my way through several years of college. And the rest is history. Ended up at Procter & Gamble for 13 years in uh, branding and marketing uh, and leadership positions. Then three years as vice president of United Way. Uh, and then a couple of years as an executive with Ford Motor Company at 42 years old, I pivoted out of corporate America, having learned at the feet of masters and began my own company, focusing on the very, very provocative and esoteric subject of networking, specifically in the African-American community, because I had observed through my own lessons and climb that we were really, A, we didn't understand what networking uh, was. Uh, we didn't, of course, invent the word. Um, and we were not really good at, good at building the kind of collaborative networks necessary to take our people and our community to where they needed to go in the 21st and 22nd century. So I decided to commit the balance of my life, I'm now 72, to helping our people with power I understand the power and importance of the relationships in their life. Collaboration versus cooperation. Now, cooperation is very important. One and one makes two. But collaboration is more important where one and one makes 11. So we, it was important that we understood that so that we could develop economically, so that we could develop, uh, we could develop institutions and organizations that allowed us to, to, again, collaborate and to grow and ultimately to prosper. So to that end, I've been working on that uh, for the past uh, 30 years and have developed a network of over 100,000 close circle of friends, more than that if you look outside of the circle, um, and um, facilitated this vision of delivering this service to African-Americans in particular, America in general, by uh, couching it in the need to promote and celebrate diversity and inclusion. Um, and, and, and so I've done it through conferences, workshops, seminars, six best-selling books, 2,000 speeches, and eight and a half million frequent flyer miles. Oh my goodness! Now we call we call you Doctor Fraser. You have for a guy that wasn't college material. You got some doctors, didn't you? I have three. Yes, I have one in theology, one in philosophy, and one in humanities. I love it. I love it. You know, one of my favorite motivational statements is when people say, "I don't think you can do that." <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that, that inspires me? Right? Doesn't that inspire you? I love yeah. it. I yeah. tell my clients, when you write your goal, you want to have three people you share it with. That's what makes it work. It's the yeah. accountability. I've changed the A in smart to accountable. So when you share it with somebody, you're accountable. And I said, there's two, there's two ways they affirm you. They say, great, I want to introduce you to somebody. That's empowerment. The other way is, ha, you're going to do what? That's empowerment. So sure. back to this really, uh, it's a powerful, like we, we, uh, sometimes put a spin on, on the word power and it's mis, misinterpreted, but, but power, it really, in the context I'm using it with George Fraser is influence. And for me, leaders are influencers. And yes. as I've known you, I've never known you to use power of position. You influence people because of who you are, which is one of the definers of transformational leadership. It's a community of high performers, like an orchestra. You know, I spent 40 years as a conductor. And so 
give me a, a snapshot. Do you have a purpose statement for FraserNet? Just give us a snapshot in a sentence. What is FraserNet? Yeah, FraserNet, um, uh, the vision of FraserNet is to build a global network to increase opportunities, resources, and access for people of African descent. That is fundamental. That's what we want to do, is to increase opportunities um, to access resources uh, for people of, uh, basically of African descent. And we do that by teaching and, uh, and training them. These uh, are a variety of products and services um, on how to, to gain access grow access, cherish and develop access, and, and be an access point themselves. Wonderful. That's, Wonderful. that's really it in the night. Um, that's who we are. That's more empower than power. It's empowering, and you, your style is to empower others. Um, we're, we're, uh, the theme I want to explore next is one of um, transition. And transition happens with transformation. And the story you just presented of your life was a series of transitions. One of the people on one of the, and I don't remember which one on my interview series, said that followers live in the present, leaders live in the future. We're, right. we're visionary. And so what is the leader's duty and delight to go to your theology degree? What is the leader's duty and delight in this whole area of, of transition? Because we're always, um, we're always getting better or we're going backwards. Organizations are always in transition. Right. We think it's not, but, but really the only thing that I think it doesn't change is change itself. So what is the leader's role in inspiring and facilitating capable leaders in transitions? I think one of the leaders' roles is to see where people need to be, but are not there yet, and then find a way to take them there, okay? To see where people need. That's what visionary leaders do. They're able to see, maybe it's a spiritual download, where people need to be. They're not quite there yet, and then the leader figures a way in which they can take them there. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, a leader helps people through, and it's a very good word that you use, uh, transition uh, and building capacity, transition and building capacity. And I'm, I'm constantly in transition. I'm constantly shifting people, places, and things in and out of my life and refreshing and constantly transition. And as I am shifting people, places, things, knowledge, in and out of my life, um, I am increasing my capacity to build, to earn, to serve, uh, and to fulfill the purpose of life, which is to love, to give, to serve, to add value um, uh, every minute of every day, to add the highest value to somebody or something. So I think the big overarching role of a leader is to move people in a good and righteous way where they need to be, but they don't know that they need to be there yet, right? Uh, and to help them build capacity, right? Fundamentally through transition. Transition is the acquisition of new knowledge, fresh knowledge each and every day and shifting people, 
places and things in and out of your life and making sure that those people, places, and things are in the proper place at the proper time on the proper thing that we are working on together. Oh, that's awesome. That's very, very well stated. As you were talking, two quotes came to my mind from two different theologians. First one was Reinhold Niebuhr, which you may know that our President Obama read frequently. Uh, yes. Reinhold Niebuhr said, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then another right. one, Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic Franciscan, um, has a really good leadership series. He says, uh, transformed people transform people. Right. That's right. That's right. So that, that anti, any of those inspire another, another piece of this, you know, uh, transitions is part of our transformation because we, we learn stuff. Okay. It's theory. Then we need to digest it. Okay. I understand it. Then we need to, put it to work in, in its transitional, transformational presence. And so as we are, uh, Paul, St. Paul said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your oh, wow. minds. Right. Yeah. So, so I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies when we don't, we think we got status quo. So do any of those spark some, another comment from you about transitions and, and leaders responsibility there? Yeah. Um, um, that's some deep stuff you just went through. I mean, you just sort of glossed over it, you know. <laughs> um, but that's years of study and understanding and stewing in your own juices, you. Um, uh, you know, I think, and this is deep, but 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 I think that embedding social impact into one's business model is the wave of the future. Embedding social impact. Now, I call myself a social entrepreneur, all right? I have found a way to do well while doing good, to make a profit and to make a difference. Um, Peter Drucker had some wonderful things about the social responsibility, social responsibility of the corporate world, and that was fundamentally is to take problems, right, and turn them into business opportunities that essentially educate and inform and empower people to ultimately do the same. Peter Drucker, one of the greatest business minds of the 20th century. So I really believe that visionary leadership requires looking at not the problem, but looking at what we all would tritely can say, uh, the opportunity, and figuring out a way to help people make a profit and make a difference and do well while doing good. So embedding social impact into your business model. And I think that can be done almost in every business model to a greater degree than it is being done today. I think there is some element of that uh, in the big Fortune 1000 corporate world, the mm -hmm. scholarship, 
Um, but I think that as we peel back the onion on that, as we grow as a people, as a country, that that has to become more and more prevalent and brought to the surface. And um, that's certainly what I'm committed to showing the world how to do, certainly my world or my small little world, on how to do that more effectively and how to do that better. I think leadership, um, leadership is the only way it's gonna get done. It's not going to be done by osmosis. It's not going to get done um, uh, because uh, 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 of fellowship. Fellowship is critically important. It's gonna it's, it's get done through righteous and well-communicated, powerful examples uh, uh, executed by good and righteous leaders. And you certainly play your role behind what you just, you talked about, you lead by example, and you offer opportunities for leaders to step up. Mm -hmm. um, you offer um, live events and people all over talk about them like it's the gold standard. Um, you know, that your events empower, encourage, and, and the gather people in some visionary place and empower them to think outside of their, their little space. What, um, how many events, give us a sense for what kind of events you have and why do you have live events? What's the purpose for this? Well, I think that um, nothing ever will replace human contact mm -hmm. in the cultivation, nurturing, and the building of relationships and the, and the understanding of the human psyche um, and the power of the human touch and love. Nothing will ever replace it. And certainly social media and I uh, I'm a, a big fan of the effective utilization of social media, but it will never replace face-to-face, uh, body-to-body, eye contact-to-eye contact as we look into the windows of the soul. So that's fundamentally why uh, live events are critically important. Now, this, this would be what we're doing is maybe as close as we could get using social media to a live event. This is a one-on-one, -on -one, eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart conversation. But I like live events because it gives me a chance to model the behavior that I expect from people. So when people see the way I comport myself here, when people see the way I dress, in a business-like manner at a conference when they're there, when they see how I frame my conversation, how I treat other people who are around me because I remain present 24-7, um, this is, in a sense, arm's length mentoring, right? So this is very important to do, stay close to your customer, mm -hmm. stay close to those, quote, following. Allow them, this is especially important in the African-American community because we learn a little bit differently. We are oral, visual, tactile, kinesthetic, and auditory, right? Yeah. So we like to touch, right? We like to hug. So if 
So it's like really an effective politician really needs to be on the ground in his district, in his community, talking and touching people. And that spreads virally that you are accessible now and you are available. And so not only does do people learn that when they see me comport myself that way, they learn it from the other interactions and how others in you know our big conference, the Power Networking Conference, will have 1,500 people at that conference. And all of them, well, most of them, are behaving the same way. That now becomes the standard for language, the standard for behavior, and the things that we're doing, learning, growing, spending 10 hours in workshop, that becomes the norm. And that is very important when leading people to the promised land. Wow. Wow. And, and as you're talking there, it just... I'm resonating with what you're talking about, um, and you've probably not been privy to my my leadership content that, that my clients study, but it's so much in alignment. I have four pillars of leadership. Foundation is where you're going and what your skill is. Your relationship is the second one. You, you really surround yourself with capable people. Relationships is at the root of not only leadership, but communication and the profit you talked about. The third one is how do we create effective systems? so that we can actually utilize these skills. And then fourth, how do we balance life and balance it all? And my sense of George Fraser is that you are, um, well, I define leadership as first and foremost influence, as I said earlier. And this, this as you're talking, you go more and more into depth about the, the ways you influence people. And the way I define transformational leadership, which was a style defined in the 80s by two authors, Burns and Bass, Mm-hmm. How I define it is a high functioning culture, but the leader is is the influencer, the model. What, in the, as in the conducting world, what the choir orchestra, what they see is what you get. Right. So the culture is a reflection of the leader. Give me that number again. You just kind of glossed over that number. Fifteen hundred people come to your conference. Fifteen hundred. We we sell out every year. Forbes named us one of the top five conferences in America, not to be missed. Um, and, uh, and we do no advertising or promotion. Um, this is our 16th year, our sweet 16. And, um, it's a powerful conference. It's open to anybody who wants, who understands diversity and inclusion, who wants to broaden their perspective, uh, and, and, and think outside of the box, uh, and understand the power of cultural diversity, understanding various perspectives of various audiences, and how to effectively operate uh, and, 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 and to be a part uh, of what, what I believe is the strength of America, and that is its diversity. That really is our strength. That is the unique strength that we bring to the world, right? So every group must maximize their full human potential. And, and, and I've said this many times, and I want to say this and still be loved, until such time as African Americans in this country maximize their full human potential, America will not reach its full human potential. When that happens, and it's happening slowly but surely, we're certainly much better off than we were 400 years ago, um, that's for sure, but there's still a long way to go. And as we maximize our potential, 
um, America will, will, will then maximize its potential. So part of the job of a leader, right, is to bring people along, um, sometimes kicking, screaming, and crying. One of my definitions of leadership, Hugh, uh, is that is to be a leader is to be awake and alert and to be dissatisfied at all times. Right? <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way, but we have much further to go. Therefore, I am not happy, but I'm motivated by a positive anger directed towards positive change. Right? So let me say that differently, Hugh. You will never change that which you tolerate. You will only change when you get angry. Let me say that another way. People will not change when they see the light. People will change when they feel the heat, right? So if we don't feel the heat, if America doesn't feel the heat with its, with, with its epic shift in politics over the last three or four months, um, I, I don't know when we will feel the heat. So it is, this is, this is, so I'm saying that this is maybe good. This is maybe good, right? This is a, this is a seismic shift. Now, what isn't good about it is our leader and the way he comports himself. I'm not sure I would want my children to be like our leader. I certainly would want my two sons to have been like Barack Hussein and Obama. But this leader, I'm not sure I want my children to model the behavior they see in the most powerful man in the world, right? That's a decision. Now, he's modeling behavior. We hear him every day. We hear his tweets. We hear him talk about whatever he wants to talk about. The question is, do you want the people that love you, know you, respect you, follow you, and, and learn from you, and are coached and mentored by you, would you point to that? as this is how you should comport and behave going forward with your life. Well, and, and I've often said that as a leader, um, there are consequences for our language and our behaviors and um, at any level. And um, so time, history has a way of um, informing us. And um, I love the, uh, one of the musicologists I studied with, when somebody years ago asked about Jimmy Swigert when he had his downfall, he says, don't worry, time wounds all heals. <laughs> but we don't, I don't put dates in the, the article from this or the, or the podcast, but I'd just like to put a marker here that we're shortly after the transition from Obama to uh, uh, the Donald in the presidency of the country. And what, what the wisdom that I heard, I mean, I heard a lot of really good things here, but the wisdom that I heard from you taking responsibility of doing what we should have been doing, I spoke to an activist uh, recently who said, you know, I said, how are you taking this? He said, well, it's not good, but now we're, we're encouraged to do what we should have been doing anyway. anyway. And I thought, well, that's, that's, you know, making lemonade out of, uh, out of the lemons. So, uh, yeah, and I think you look at your theology degree and look at all of the, the people throughout the Bible that God used for God's purpose in a very profound way. Some of them were pretty pretty ratty people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. God uses imperfect people. We, we, we know that. You know, God uses imperfect people. And um, 
because we're all imperfect. We know that there's only one that is. So it's okay. I, I say this to, to people all the time that, that uh, you know, that, that, that it is important to understand that God, you are born because God wants to utilize you, right? Even in your imperfection, right? And so don't be discouraged by those imperfections. Don't be discouraged by those mistakes. Don't be discouraged by the dumb stuff that you may have done in certain passages of your life. That's okay. We can go through a list in the Bible of, of, of almost all the major players having some really dumb stuff in their life. So it's okay. It's okay. And um, I, I don't worry about that. And I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to do some stupid, stupid things. But I press on and hopefully I learn from that. And I change. I wrote a book called Click, 10 Truths for Building Extraordinary Relationships. And one of the major truths is be open to everything attached to nothing. The best idea wins, all right? The best idea wins. Be open Love to change, it. right? Open and open. Be open to new relationships. And yes, they will platoon in and out of your life. But understand that business is about relationships. Without relationships, you have no business. Without relationships, you have no business being in business. In fact, the business we're all really in you is the business of building relationships. So we have to spend quality time, maybe even more time cultivating, nurturing, and building relationships at work, at home, and in the community. Most of us don't spend enough time on our relationships. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Those last 10 sentences were worth the whole interview. <laughs> Preach it. I love it. I love it. We're, we're so much in sync. I'm just, I'm excited here. Um, I want to wrap up this transitions part, but we, um, I want to speak to leaders who are in responsible roles. There's, um, uh, a large amount of small businesses out there, much employ many more than the big corporations. And in addition to that, there are 4 million 501c somethings, uh, membership associations, local charities, uh, religious institutions, education, you know, you name it. There's 4 million of those, each who has a leader who's visionary. We haven't given thought to setting up transitions because we're not going to be here forever. Right. What advice would you have for leaders in this? We're, we're, we're grouping these under social entrepreneurs. We're thought leaders, but we're not going to be here forever. That's so right. how do we set up transitions for long-term stability with the organizations that we've, we've been charged to lead? Well, that's a deep question too. Um, you know why? I'm dealing with that right now, mm -hmm. right? I'm dealing with that question, succession. Succession for FraserNet, mm -hmm. right now, as we speak. And, and actually, I'm in the second year of, of, of solving that algorithm or equation. In fact, I've committed uh, at the Power Networking Conference in July of this year uh, to introduce our new a succession plan and all of the people who will be a part of that succession plan. And I've been working on that uh, in all candor uh, for three years and have come up with the successor, the person who will ultimately take my place. 
right? And um, I began preparing my audience, um, preparing my network uh, for this idea three years ago. So my advice to people who are thinking about that, don't wait until you're either critically ill or dead <laughs> to begin thinking about this. You're right. You're not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. Thinking about it while you have a healthy uh, and sharp state of mind, begin the search process, if you will, uh, ASAP. Have it in the back of your mind. And I had it in the back of my mind three years ago. So I'm 70, almost 72 now. So when I was 68, 69, I began thinking about transition. And I began to think about succession. And so I looked and looked because once you plant the seed in your mind um the universe and god will lead you to the answer to the question once it's planted once you say it or you write it down that permanently puts it in your in, in your subconscious mind so a simple metaphor one analogy would be if you were to go out and buy a volvo today you know what would happen tomorrow you start noticing all the other volvos right Plant, plant the seed in your mind, and, and and the rest will reveal itself if you give it enough time. Don't say, oh, I want this to happen. This is a big and important thing, uh, and I only got like, you know, a couple weeks. Don't do that. Give it time. It's the same way we write books, right? Uh, it's the same way. So, so begin now. Uh, you know, it's certainly if you're in your 60s. Uh, if you've thought about it, begin the process. Um, write it down. I would get a folder and write on their succession. And in that folder, I would begin looking for it and gathering and quietly taking notes about people in the various positions. So I'm going to unveil at the conference uh, the whole um, lineage uh, board uh, and various key executive positions. I'm going to unveil that at the conference. And I'm going to say, listen, this is going to happen over time. I'm not going to disappear next year, right? I'm going to be here for as long as God gives me breath and life. But ultimately, all the responsibilities that you have assumed that I had will now be transitioned and passed on to others who are, we are working with, have been working with perhaps, have been training them slowly but surely. Um, and so it's it's critical or else you know god forbid if i didn't do this you um and god forbid i passed uh, the business it would be over it'd be 30 years of work uh fini that would be terrible you know i intuitively knew you were going to have that kind of answer to my question and and you are leading by example as a good mm -hmm. transformational leader and the transition ahead of you is something that you've laid the foundation for and you've done some careful planning and I'm sure you've surrounded yourself with some thought leaders that understand the legacy that you've created and right. it's going to be ongoing. So I, I'm so pleased to hear that because what you've created is so important. Um, I knew that you had some plan, but I thank you for sharing it with the world. We are, um, we're, we're talking in the, in the winter of 2017 and you're talking about an upcoming program and we don't, people may listen to this all times, you know, in the future. So let's give them a, a link. Is it FraserNet? 
Uh, well, there are a couple of links. Yeah, FraserNet.com, F-R-A-S-E-R.com. Uh, That's the main link for the organization and all the things that we do. Okay. And ways that people can join, become a member. It costs nothing. It's just you, you ascribe to our vision, our mission, core values, and guiding principles, right? That's oh, I love it. Say that again. Conference if you're Say that again. Say that again. Our, our vision, our mission, okay. our core values, and guiding principles. I love it. And guiding principles. So, so hey, let me do let me do this because um, yes, I, this is something that I think is worth. Now, these remember these vision, mission, core values, and guiding principles are now twenty seven years old. Okay, oh. we wrote these when we started the company not on the day we started the company, but it took us a little time, as you can imagine. And we wrote vision, mission, core values, and guiding principles. So let me just read to you, very simply, our 27-year-old core values, okay? We value service to others as the foundation for success. We value learning and growing. We value the importance of family and legacy. We value spiritual growth and guidance. We value building wealth honorably. We value being a positive role model. Uh, we value a strong work ethic and loving what you do. We value the importance of our relationships. We value making the investment to succeed. We value measuring success by the generational wealth we transfer. Those are the things that we value. When you become a member, uh, if you, you, must, you must buy into those values. These values are 27 years old. Now, what are our guiding principles? We will put God first. We will foster trust through honesty and integrity. We will give first, share always. We will keep promises to ourselves and to one another. We will treat everyone with respect. We will exceed expectations. We will practice listening as the first duty of love. We will use wealth as a force for good. We will think hard and work smart. We will practice humility as a strength of character. We will give thanks in and for all things, we will live healthy and authentic lives. We will honor our work as a spiritual practice and as our gift. And finally, we will lead by serving. That's 27 years old. That's oh, what it is. Word. No wonder you're successful. That is brilliant. Yeah. Right. You know how few leaders even have core values, but you've taken those and you've activated them into principles. That's right. Find how people make decisions in your culture. Principles and modeling. Get back. You got go back. Modeling. Remember, I said one of the importance of of of, of having a live conference where people are there. It gives the leader a chance to model the behavior he is or she espouses. My goodness, you know, I'm I'm descendant of Scottish Presbyterians, but somewhere we probably had we're brothers by another mother. I just, uh, George, this is just so amazing. This is so amazing. We're going to transcribe this. This will be on the webpage at hubaloopodcast.com. We'll put the links in there and have these quotes. This is just really amazing. I um I am so grateful for your time and your wisdom today. And we'll make this one go viral. You can share it with your network and I'll share it with my networks and we'll get Absolutely. Bernie Dorman to share it with his. As we, um, 
wrap up this really profound interview. I knew it would be good, but man, you blew it out of the ballpark here. Um, how, what final wisdom, what final tips, what final thoughts would you like to leave with people uh, about leadership and how we impact and influence people's lives? Two things. Chase excellence, never chase money. Money has a strange way of finding excellence. When you become excellent at whatever it is you choose to do in life, whether it's sweeping streets, Dr. King spoke to that, or whether, you know, being a rocket scientist, it doesn't matter whether owning a business. Um, when you choose excellence, you will never have to worry about competition. You will never have to wait in people's line. People will wait in line for you. It's when you're average or mediocre that you have to worry about competition because most of America is about average. And so if you're average, you're competing with everybody. So chase excellence, never chase money. You chase excellence by being committed to constant never-ending improvement and lifelong learning. And turn off the television and read, right? Turn off the television, America, and read. Be open to everything, attached to nothing, the best idea wins and stay the course. That's what I've done. Stay the course. Chart a good and righteous course. Stay that course. And then all that is due you will come to you. George Fraser, those are great words to end on. Thank you again for sharing your wisdom with the world. And I'm going to blow the whistle out so everybody can hear this. Thank you, George Fraser, for sharing with us today. Love you, Hugh Ballou. Stay the course. Yes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.